This is the word of the Lord. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them as they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Lauren and I have Christmas cards um, in our house. Many of them are from you. Um, you and uh, kind of a, uh, in a way have breakfast with our family every morning as we see your Christmas cards strewn over our, our kitchen wall. And your Christmas cards have all kinds of interesting sayings on them. We love to read them. We love to tear open the envelopes when they come in every week. And some of them say joy or they'll say child. Some of them will say um, wonder. Some of them will say gift or all of these words that we know, like you can use any of these words over Christmas, and you can make them mean almost anything, can't you? At Christmas, we're flooded with, with all of these terms that we can define however we want to make Christmas mean for us whatever we need that particular term to mean. But what does Christmas mean? The most famous of all the sayings that we have on our Christmas card is peace on earth. And here in Luke chapter 2, that is what is told to us. The angels saying, and on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. Peace on earth. It's the most famous meaning of Christmas of all, isn't it? What does it mean? What does it mean to have peace on earth? Well, I'll surmise to you this morning that it might mean something then you expect, and you might be, therefore, a little disappointed in what Luke means by peace on earth, what Jesus means by peace on earth. What does peace on earth mean? Let's look at the text, and let's see what Luke means by this very famous phrase, the most famous phrase of all for what the meaning of Christmas is, peace on earth. What does it mean, and how do you get it? Are you ready? What does it mean? How do you get it? 
First, what does it mean? What does peace on earth mean? And so that I can be clear, and I want to be clear this morning, let me start with what it does not mean. Peace on earth does not mean that you will have familial or relational peace this Christmas. I know that may be hard to hear. We exalt our families. Many of us will never leave Oklahoma having moved here from other states because we know we have more land, more space, more house, more opportunity to dwell with our family. We love our family. And we so long for peace on earth to mean that we have peace with our family. But we all know that we go home for Christmas. Some of us are going to travel in just a couple of days to see our family. And somewhere along the line, you kind of experience this great, heavy letdown. Because you still haven't measured up to your parents' expectations. And you're 40. That you have siblings that still won't come home for Christmas. That spouses are growing more distant. That parents' relationships are not what it could be. So certainly it can't mean that you have peace with your family. Because if it did, some of us would have some explaining to do. I mean, we would say that we didn't have enough faith if we were Christians. And peace on earth meant we have peace with our family. Because our families, frankly, are still broken. And you feel it when you go home, especially this time of year, don't we? So it can't mean that. In fact, Jesus tells us that it can't mean that. I am waiting for the day when somebody's Christmas card says what Jesus says in Luke chapter 21. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. (laughs) I'm waiting for it. I expect to see it next year, please. Luke 2 Peace on earth with whom he is well pleased. And then 10 chapters later, do you think I've come to bring peace on earth? Uh Uh-uh. I tell you, but rather division. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not that hard to mistake. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. What does this mean? Jesus is not coming, he's not saying that he's coming to divide the family. No, 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 no. Jesus is saying that the presence of the gospel brings disturbance. It interrupts things and patterns and relationships. Do you know the part in Acts, it's in Acts 19, I think, if, you know, whenever the gospel came to Ephesus, before they called Christianity Christianity, they called it the way. It was the way. And there's this great verse in in verse 19. It almost sounds like George Lucas, you know, riffed off of it. It says, there was a great disturbance in the way. And Demetrius, who was a silversmith in Ephesus, started a riot because Christians all of a sudden didn't bow the knee to Artemis. And the market demand for the silver and the economic practices of Ephesus changed. And there was a riot. There was a disturbance in the way. Jesus didn't cause the riot. The gospel causes disturbance. It can cause disturbance in our economic practices, and it causes disturbance certainly within our family. No, no, no. Jesus does not mean peace on earth will bring you necessarily relational or familiar peace. 
It also doesn't mean, peace on earth does not mean that he'll bring you personal safety and comfort or protection or national security. He does not mean that. We can debate all day long whether Christianity has benefited the world and provided greater, greater world peace. We could talk about that. But there would be many, 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 many people who would say Christianity has actually made things worse. I mean, just this morning you heard Marshandria pray for the horrific terror attack on a church, the Bethel Memorial Methodist Church, this morning in Pakistan where militant terrorists came in and killed people. The deacons tried to hold them back at the door, and they still were able to kill people. Horrible. People would say, listen, it can't, the promise of, or the, the presence of all these different religions, Christianity included, has actually made the worst more fierce, more deadly. And they would have some merit to that argument, wouldn't they? I mean, today, we don't see fewer wars. We actually are asking the question, aren't we, how do we get out of war? Certainly, Jesus did, couldn't have meant that, meant that because if he did, then, man, after 2,000 years, he has not delivered. It's because he does not mean that. In Luke chapter 21, the disciples asked Jesus, what would be the sign of the end of the age? And he says... See that none of you are led astray. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. Jesus is saying, Warfare will not cease until he comes again to make everything new. Peace on earth does not mean that you will have relational peace, and it does not mean that you will have personal safety or even national peace. It does not mean that as much as I want it to mean that or as you might want it to mean that. What, therefore, does it mean? Well, let's look. And before we look, let me just say one thing. Even though peace on earth does not mean that we're going to have personal peace or we're going to have communal peace or we're going to have familiar peace or political peace, that doesn't mean you shouldn't strive for it. I mean, as Christians, we are called to seek the prosperity of our city. And in seeking the prosperity and the welfare of Owasso and Tulsa and Bartlesville and these cities in which we live, that is the fruit of our salvation, but it is not our motivation in pursuit of our salvation. Seeking the welfare of peace, seeking the prosperity of all people is the fruit of what God has done in our life. It is not the pursuit of our salvation. Do you see the key difference there? It is a fruit. And so, of course, you should seek peace. But we live with this tension where peace hasn't yet come. Are you tracking with me? Are you with me? What does, therefore, peace on earth mean? Well, Luke gives us several clues. Zechariah said of John in 176, You will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give knowledge of salvation to his people. In, here is the first clue, verse 77 of chapter 1, in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercies of God to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way, what does Zechariah say? Into the way of peace. Clue number one. Zechariah tells us that the peace that is the peace on earth that Jesus comes to bring, first of all, is an objective peace. 
It is the peace beneath the peace. The peace that Jesus comes to give is not the peace that we so long for. It's actually the peace beneath that peace. It is the forgiveness of sins. Let's keep going. Let me show you another facet of it. Some of us grew up hearing um, this verse read, and we would, we would read the King James Version, which says, um, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Have you ever heard that? It's a common way to, that they used to interpret the Bible. And when you read the Greek, let me geek out with you for 30 seconds. Kai epi geis erene in anthropois eudikios. And the last word, goodwill, the King James Version made it a nominative instead of a genitive. I'm, just, I'm not going to go on. But the point is, they mistranslated it in the King James. And the earliest manuscripts, in almost every translation you read of the English Bible today, includes this longer phrase, peace on earth, among those with whom he is pleased, which tells us that at some point he was not pleased. If there's goodwill, it tells us that at some point there was ill will. And so even in the text itself, the angels are speaking about a division here between man and God. Clue number two is that God has brought us, given us the ability to have peace with him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, the Prince of Peace. Or Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The peace on earth of which the angels speak is not a relational, not a familial, not a political, not a personal safety peace. It is a peace beneath the peace. It is that you can be reconciled with God. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, Paul writes, doing the evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body through the flesh in his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. We, we teach this to one another when we say, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The peace beneath the peace. The peace on earth is a peace of reconciliation between you and God. It is the peace that you need to have the peace that you want. The peace beneath the peace. Now, that's what it is. How do you get it? The shepherds show us how we get it. And the shepherds experience three changes. The the shepherds experience a new change of awareness. They have a new curiosity, and they have a new allegiance. Notice what the text says. There's There's a new awareness. Shepherds were a very rough crowd. We think gunny sack shepherds in Christmas plays, but these dudes were tough. And early on in Scripture, shepherds, whether you were a Sikh or a slave, you were a shepherd because it was, an, it was an agrarian society and shepherds were necessary. We were all ranchers early on until Israel was taken into captivity in Egypt and the Egyptians hated shepherds because they were farmers and the sheep and the goats ate their crops. And the Assyrians who were the shepherd kings who took over lower Egypt, were the worst and most hated enemies of Egypt. 
and they held them up to derision. And by the time of the New Testament, shepherds, I mean, David was a shepherd, yes, and he gave shepherds a sense of, a higher sense of calling during his reign. But by the time the New Testament comes around, shepherds are the bottom of the barrel in society. Some of the things that are said of shepherds are, they are the Mishnah, the Jewish written record of the oral law, said that shepherds are incompetent. Another passage says that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who's fallen into a pit. They couldn't fulfill judicial office. They couldn't be admitted as witnesses. They were deprived of civil rights, the Talmud teaches, to buy wool or milk or a kid, a a small goat from a shepherd, was forbidden on the assumption that it was stolen property. So needless to say that shepherds were the dregs of society. They were the sinners. They were unclean. Shepherds were second only to lepers in the ancient Near East. And these shepherds are the night shift shepherds. And here they are being told day in and day out that they're not worth very much. Just go out into the field. And here they're keeping the flocks that were used for the temple sacrifice. And they are struck with fear. Light blazes in the night as you and I would be struck with fear. And the angels appear to them and they give them this amazing good news that's for all the people. And the shepherds who have constantly heard that they are not worth anything. They couldn't even walk into town without people sneering at them. They have a message from the angels. Do you think that changes somebody? The angels give them a sense of dignity. They come to them. And they say, oh, shepherds, you who have been on the margins of society, we are going to give you the news to bring the joy to all people. And they are amazed. And the shepherds have a new self-awareness. There's a new dignity about them that calls them out of the routine to do something shepherds never would do, leave their flocks. Now, we don't know if they had other shepherds come and take their place. We can only speculate. But regardless, they had a new, sense, new self-awareness and they had a new curiosity. And so it says that they go in haste, verse 16, to find Mary and Joseph. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. <laughs> I love it. Let's go see this thing that has happened. They don't yet believe. They're curious. Let's go see this thing that the angels tell us about. Which teaches us something here, that if there are people here who don't yet believe in the gospel, that are curious about this thing that we're doing, oh, please keep coming. Keep coming week after week after week and see this thing. Go to community group and see this thing. Come to worship and see this thing that we're talking about, this thing called the gospel. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has been proclaimed to us. And they go and they see. In verse 18, and they see the baby, and they tell them. And when all who heard it wandered at what the shepherds, the gross, despicable shepherds, told them, they rejoiced. And Mary treasured up these things in her heart. Why did she do that? Because Mary just sang about it. One of the things she says in her song are that he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and he has exalted those of humble estate. Who do you think Mary's thinking about when she sees the shepherds come and bring this good news of great joy to her? To come see this thing, this precious baby. 
So the shepherds, in a sense, have a new self-awareness. Are you tracking with me? They have their eyes opened. A sense of dignity is given to them that they were not used to in that society. They have a new holy curiosity, and they go and they explore what this Christ child was. And then they have a new allegiance. Verse 20, when they returned, they glorify God and they praised Him. And that's what we hope happens for you. Those of you who don't yet believe, there's a high premium on trust, and it's not easy to trust. But we hope that after you hear the gospel and you see the good news of what Christ has done for you, not what He calls you to do to please Him, but what He has done for you, that something in that wells up in your heart and says, yes, I can put all of my performance that has failed the test for so long down, and I can rest and stand in His righteousness. He has come to me, a lowly shepherd, a lowly sinner, and He has said that I can have peace on earth. He's given me a newfound awareness of what He's done for me. He's given me a new curiosity to find out more about it in His Word. And He has given me a new allegiance to trust and to lean on His finished work and not my own performance for my salvation. That is the heart of the spiritual journey that we go on as believers. From a new awareness of us before an infinitely holy God, sinners in need of salvation, to a new curiosity about what this means to a new allegiance to our king. And the shepherds come away changed. But what's true in this text is that the shepherds were still shepherds. They didn't all of a sudden have a new standing in society. Some of you are Christians, and you are freed from the penalty of sin, but not yet from its power or its presence. And when you go home for Christmas, there are still tensions in your family. And we push against and we fight against all the temptations in order for us to live out and become who God has made us to be. Jesus knows what you need this Christmas. Jesus knew what the shepherds needed. Do you notice where Jesus is when the shepherds come to find him? Where is Jesus lying when the shepherds find him? In the manger. What did the shepherds use almost every day of their life? They used mangers, feeding troughs to feed their flocks. They used mangers as the breadbasket for the world, their world. And here they come to Bethlehem, and they find a baby, and it's as, though, it's as though Jesus, even as a child, the Father is so kind. He says to the shepherds, shepherds, I know your world, and I know where you live, and you're going to find your Savior in a manger. And just like you use manger to feed your flocks, you know what? So do I, the bread of life for the world. And it changed the shepherds. It may have been the way people reacted to hearing the good news. They proclaimed that they may not yet have even believed, but it might have been seeing that baby in the feeding trough that they used every day. And the incarnation in such a powerful way for these shepherds, and it changed them. Has it changed you? Peace on earth and mercy mild 
God and sinners reconciled. Does that light you up? Does that warm your heart? That is the peace on earth that we are promised. And it will not necessarily give us familial or give us political or personal peace, but you know what? It gives us the peace beneath the peace, which allows us to see ourselves as sons and daughters so that we can go into our families. We can serve our neighbors as those who have a new identity, who can be rejected, who don't have to bite back, who can take the blows who can absorb the sin of others, and we can take that to the cross, and we can beg the Lord to come in mercy and grace to give us the strength that we need to endure so that with the peace beneath the peace, you might actually have peace in your family, and you might actually, by God's grace, experience a personal sense of safety that we so ardently long for together. And one more thing. You think this is boring? You think this is old? You think this service is going long? You think this sermon is almost done? It is. One more thing. You know the, the passage that Brad read, the very end of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. You know what it says? It says that the angels heard what the prophets foretold and now has been manifested to us. And there's this little throwaway line that Peter put in there. But it's not throwaway into which angels long to look. Friends, the box office in heaven sells out the moment it opens because the angels are rushing to get a ticket to watch the gospel at work in you. Because as amazing as the angels are, and on the Trinity blog, you can read more about what angels are, what their roles are in redemptive history and for the Lord. As amazing as they are as created beings, intelligent, They are not human as we are. And they cannot experience the redemption that we can experience. They are his messengers, and they cannot experience the joy that you have in being redeemed. They long to look at it. They marvel at it. They're amazed by it. It's Christmas with the angels this year. And you are what they're looking at. Do you believe it? Do you have a new sense of awareness of your need for the gospel? Do you have a new holy curiosity to explore the things of God? Do you have a new allegiance to the one who is our righteousness, who stands in our stead and who died on the cross for us so that we, broken by sin, might be reconciled to God? Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. That as a peace beneath the peace. That is a reconciliation we all long for. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you will help us to remember and to know and to treasure and to love the truth of your word, the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us, and for us never to get tired of it, Father, we will spend eternity plumbing the depths of your love for us. Thank you, Father, that the angels long to look at your sanctifying work in our life, how you're making us more and more like you. Oh, Lord, would you help us to have Christmas with the angels, to live into who you've called us to be, to have the strength to love our families well this Christmas, to have the strength to see ourselves principally as sons and daughters of you our high king, 
who came to give us peace on earth as those by grace through the finished work of Jesus with whom you are now well pleased. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.